Well, good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Eurofolk Radio Network. I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It's Thursday, July 28th, 2022, and uh, we're going to be talking Red Beckman today. But before that, I'd suggest check out the website, yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, yourdiyhealth.com. And uh, be sure and check out at the top of the homepage the iTeraCare device that people are having phenomenal results with, everything from skin tags to cancer. It's just an amazing thing, and uh, uh, we just encourage you to check it out, watch the videos, uh, contact me if you have any questions, and... um, it's literally a life-changing thing that a lot of people are experiencing already, and it's going to get even bigger and bigger as time goes on. But anyway, um, keep in mind the topics discussed and opinions mentioned on this show are those of the host and or guests and don't necessarily represent the opinions of the Eurofolk Radio Network, its owners or sponsors, or any of the alphabet agencies out there listening in. Nothing we say on the show should be diagnosed or construed as a uh, diagnosed or treat or treatment or cure of any kind of health or wealth issue. It's all here for your education and entertainment purposes only so that as a responsible adult, you can use this show as a jumping off point to do your own research and due diligence to make sure that what you're doing and what you're trying is right for you. Now, with that being said, uh, we're going to welcome our guests to the show. Uh, as usual, we have Mike Gaddy. And we also have uh, Terry Dodd with us, and they're going to be talking, uh, doing kind of a tribute to Red Beckman today. So, Mike, I'm just going to let you take it over. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Jim. I hope you're doing well, sir. I'm just better than I deserve. Ah, (laughs) well, uh, this is just a really special treat for me because uh, back in, uh, gosh, I can't remember, 2014, 2015, something like that, uh, Terry... Uh, contacted me and wanted to know if I would come on his program. Uh, and uh, at the time, I didn't realize that uh, he was on with Red Beckman. And I had uh, uh, grown up uh, in my, uh, if you want to call it, uh, understanding curve. I had grown up reading uh, Born Again Republic and uh, Walls in Our Mind and other books by Red Beckman. And then to be fortunate enough to actually be on a program with Red uh, on uh, multiple occasions before he passed away. And that uh, I, I count as one of the highlights of my life uh, in being able to meet someone who was that instrumental in my growth of understanding. Uh, but uh, not to uh, keep blathering on, let me uh, bring in Terry and uh, let uh, Terry uh, tell uh, the folks about how he became acquainted with Red Beckman and then about the program that that he and uh, uh, Red and Dr. Kate did together. Terry? Well, good morning, uh, gentlemen. Uh, Jim, thanks for uh, the invite to participate today. This is a special time for me as well. Um, Red became uh, quite a mentor of mine. And um, anytime uh, anybody's talking Red Beckman, I'll, I'll be there because he has been such a great influence in my life and so many others. Um, I met, I got to know Red back in 2008. And uh, it was actually um, through Fred Smart and that international uh, consciousness call. Um, uh, I think they had Red on there one time, and and uh, I I got to contact him, and he I actually recruited him to come as a staff instructor um, for the Continental Congress that met in St. Charles, Illinois, back in November of 2009. And that's uh, that's where I first met him face to face. We had we had uh, talked many times at that point, but um, 
I talked him into coming up there and, and giving his L.A. lawman type um, um, uh, lecture that he did where he showed the, the government as a monster and, and, and uh, trained people that they had the right to judge the law. And um, after that, we, we started, I actually started a, a blog talk radio show called Walls in Our Minds after Red's, the, uh, the name of one of Red's first books, Walls in Our Minds. And uh, he became my, my co-host and, and we worked together uh, on that show for the better part of about nine years. And uh, Dr. Kate was our producer actually, uh, on that show, we actually, uh, she had the channel uh, on blog talk that, that we used and she flew support for us and screened the calls. And um, it was really an interesting relationship with, with Dr. Kate because she, I, I actually recruited her for a, a delegate for the state of Wyoming uh, to come to the Continental Congress. So she got to meet Red there in 2009 and on the way back home, driving across the country, back to Wyoming, she had um, a real spiritual awakening experience that literally put her to a knee. She literally had to, she was crying and, and had to pull off the highway. And um, after that, um, she and Red just really developed a close relationship. And he started, she was a hydro, she is a hydrogeologist. And uh, she ended up moving up to Montana, which of course Red, Red was a Montana and then ran for governor there in 88 as a Democrat of all things. And he, he got criticized, but they said, what are you running as a Democrat for? He says, well, I'm a Jeffersonian Democrat. But um, he ended up supporting her work to try to save the water um, coming out of the Flathead Lake up there in um, Northwestern Montana. Um, and that's a that's a story unto itself, but um, that's kind of how we got started, and and uh, he became my mentor on so many things. Wow, that's great, uh, Terry. And uh, you know, uh, I remember uh, so well. I was just thinking of it today. Was uh, back in 2017, and I think that's the last time I ever spoke to Red directly before he passed away. Uh, I, I remember pulling behind a service station, and I think you and Red and I probably talked for well over an hour, didn't we? Oh, at least. <laughs> yes. I do remember that. We had a lot of conversations. You were one of Red's favorite guests on Walls in Our Minds, um, partially because he, he, he respected um, your knowledge of, of the founding I should say source documents and your history lessons that you uh, shared with us on that show, uh, but also because um, you had read his books and had such an appreciation for it and how it had changed your life. And you, you gave testimony about that. So Red loved to have you on the show. He really, really loved to have you there. Well, that is, that uh, especially made it an honor. And, uh, uh, I know Jim is familiar with it. Uh, Terry, would you go into uh, Ted's, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> to into Red's work and uh, his affiliation with the uh, research on the 16th Amendment, please? Well, Red was, was involved with a lot of the, um, or even the um, Montana Freeman and others up there 
in Montana that were um, into collecting source documents and studying the history. Red, when Red realized that basically everything he had been taught in school had been a lie, um, he was really a truth seeker. And so he, he recognized that what they had told us about the 14th and 15th Amendments, for example, were lies. And um, so he was talking with a lot of the, the patriots, if you will, in Montana, and they had a discussion about, well, look, if they've lied to us about all of this stuff, what if they lied to us about the 16th Amendment? So Red pays Bill Benson to go out to the 48 lower states and literally dig up the documents proving whether or not the 16th Amendment had been ratified. Well, he, he ended up taking this evidence into court, and they wouldn't accept all of it because they were not all certified documents. So he paid Benson to go back out to the states and obtain the documents certified, proving that the 16th Amendment was not properly ratified. And those documents and that research eventually became the book known as the law that never was. And let me give you a quick, three quick examples of why it was not properly ratified. First of all, a, a constitutional amendment requires that the language, the text, the terminology, the punctu punctuation in the amendment not be changed at all when it's ratified by a state. And each state had its own rules as to uh, what was required for them to ratify an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Tennessee, for example, uh, required that there be an election from the time that the amendment was proposed to the time it was voted on. There had to be an election at the state level before that could be ratified, and Tennessee did not wait for an election to ratify. They, they ratified it immediately. Oklahoma, for example, completely rewrote the amendment. Now, remember, you can't change anything in the amendment. They rewrote it to mean exactly the opposite of what it said, and it was deemed to be ratified. <laughs> even, though, even though they changed it completely and changed the meaning of it. Colorado, for example, had a policy that you have to read the amendment completely three, on three different days. So you had to read it th three different days, and then you could vote on it. Well, they voted on it the first day. Um, so... Tennessee, Oklahoma, and Colorado, for example, were not properly ratified, yet they were counted that way. And Red would tell the story that in 1894, I think it was, or 95, I, I get the years confused a little bit, but it's either 94 or 95, that an income tax bill was passed at the federal level. And the following year, the Supreme Court shot it down as, and because it was a direct non-apportioned tax, and that's prohibited by constitutional language. So the Supreme Court actually shot down the income tax bill around 1895 and 1896. Well, there was a, a 
an attorney, I think it was J.P. Morgan and and um, and um, I'm, I'm trying I'm, Carnegie were the two people who were brought up on formal charges in the 1890s for selling tainted iron to the government. These are serious treasonous charges. And their attorney, Philander Knox, actually got um, them off with a hand slap. And then Knox came up coming into the um, um, Wilson administration. He came up, his name was nominated for Supreme Court Justice. And Morgan and Carnegie and others of the banksters came to him and said, you don't want to be a Supreme Court justice. He said, what do you mean? I'm, <laughs> that's been my life goal. Why would I not want to do that? And they said, well, could you want to be Secretary of State? And so they got him selected as a Secretary of State, and he was the one that fraudulently ratified the 16th Amendment. So this is one of Red's, you know, passions in his life was to get this information out there that the 16th was fraudulently ratified. So this is a story that he always told. Well, how, how very, very interesting. And, uh, of course, we know unequivocally that the 14th, the 16th, and the 17th were not constitutionally ratified. Uh, we know that they did away with the uh, uh, original 13th Amendment, which uh, would have banned, uh, you know, titles of, honorary titles, uh, and that would have uh, kept lawyers out of public office. Um, so here was the thing is I am still amazed, Terry, as I look at this today, is that anyone anywhere can actually have any confidence whatsoever in a belief that this government is ever going to do anything legal. What are your thoughts? Or lawful. Well, legal and lawful really are, are two different things. And, and even at times when what they do may appear to be legal, it's certainly not lawful. And Red was Red looked at the, at the founders. The, the, and when I say founders, I'm talking about those who fought the Revolutionary War and, and broke away from the king. These people were proud tax protesters. Red associated with those people. He considered himself to be a proud tax protester. He believed that the, the government was corrupt, they were lying, the judiciary was corrupt, and he literally stopped participating in the tax system back in 1975 because he was a man of conviction. He actually put his money where his mouth was. He, he never backed down. Uh, his courage maybe was his greatest asset that that in his belief in our father in heaven he was a true christian a true patriot believed in individual rights believed that the people should be able to judge the law and he felt that in this case we were being run by a group of corrupt men not by law so he was very proud of, of his tax protester position but he he was um, stellar in in actually stepping up and standing behind his beliefs. He believed that the people were responsible for this corruption, 
because of their consent and their abdication. And he he wouldn't he was not a part of that. I mean he he literally lived up to his words. Does that answer your question? Yes, it uh, certainly does. And uh, that was one of the things I was most proud of Red for is he stated unequivocally on multiple occasions, you do not have my consent. And, uh, you know, I was thinking again of that uh, long telephone conversation we had the last time that I was able to speak with Red. And uh, he talked about his battle with the Supreme Court over that exact issue. And, you know, uh, if you remember parts of that, Terry, that might be worth repeating as well, sir. Well, I was hoping Dr. Kate would come on because he actually provided her with um, some very good detail on that. As I told you, the first time he took his evidence into court, uh, they, they basically rejected it because it wasn't certified. Well, after that, he deliberately tried to get that evidence entered on the court record. And every time that he attempted to get the, the evidence proving the 16th not ratified into a court, they would dismiss the case because they did not want that evidence being put on a, an official court record. And he appealed it all the way to the Supreme Court, and it was docketed and never heard. As far as he knows, it's still docketed with the Supreme Court because they did not want that evidence put on a court record anywhere. And he, there was a lot of people who would come to Red and say, Red, we're fighting a battle of the IRS. And um, he would tell them what to do, how to write the letters, um, and respond, and when they would try to bring that evidence into court, they'd dismiss it. The court would just dismiss the case to keep that evidence from getting on record. That's about that the was, best detail I can give you on that. Well, that was fantastic. The one thing, Terry, that I remember quite well, too, was Red's contention, and uh, maybe you can remember more of this than I did, but Red's contention that no federal judge had the right to sit as a judge in any case involving the federal government because it was a conflict of interest? Well, first of all, Red believed that the Seventh Amendment was the most powerful of the Bill of Rights. And I'm not going to get into the details of that unless you want to, but he would, he would provide notice to the judiciary, to the judge, declaring them incapable of making an impartial decision of law or a finding of fact because they were a beneficiary of the government tax system. And he would declare them in, in, incapable of impartiality. And he would do it formally. I mean, this was a formal notice that he would, he would put the, the judge on notice for. And he, did, he, he would have others do this that, were, that had cases. But he would always go for a jury in hopes that at least one of those jurors was, was knowledgeable that they had the right to judge the law and were not held, you know, led around like a ring in their nose by, by a prosecuting attorney. Uh, it only takes one to, to, to turn an entire jury. He always believed that the pettit jury who acquitted was the most uh, was really the, the highest court in the land because an acquittal could not be overturned even by a higher court. 
according to the law. Now, we've seen them doing this. We've seen them violating that law uh, since then. But um, that was that was Red's position on it. He would he would get right in the judges' faces and formally notice them that they were incapable of an impartial decision. Well, the one thing, and uh, I remember we talked about this on one of the programs, and the thing that most people don't even think anything about in the Constitution, and that was when, or in the ruling shortly thereafter, especially in the Judicial Act of 1789, which was in itself unconstitutional. Some of the things that people do not understand is that when the appellate courts, when the federal courts, and then it is bled down to state courts, that when a judge has a right to examine not only the law, but to examine the facts of the case, the people were destroyed in their rights. Because that gave the courts the power and the authority to look at the facts of the case and to overrule a jury. And anytime a judge can overrule the jury, the people's rights are shot. Yep. So, and this was done, I mean, at the very beginning. And it's it's hard to get people to actually understand this And I've been talking with some folks recently uh, who were like I was in the very beginning, Terry, and I thought that this whole thing went haywire with Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. And I was under the impression for years that uh, everything was fine up until then, until I got to the National Archives in the early 80s. And then when I started seeing that everything that Lincoln did, the groundwork was laid with the Constitution. And then when I saw that Lincoln justified his invasion of the South without an act of Congress on George Washington's invasion of the state of Pennsylvania to arrest those tax resistors who were opposed to the whiskey tax. And he said, that gave me all of the justification I need. That is the precedent I am following. And so it's hard to not understand that all of the groundwork here, Terry, was laid with that Constitution. And I realize how hard it is for people to accept it. I've been watching people choke on this for 30 plus years now. And it doesn't make any difference how much evidence you produce. It's kind of like that debate I had on the Second Amendment in 2000 back in uh, uh, Sacramento, California with a uh, professor. And finally, she became so exasperated with me near the end of the debate that she said, I don't care how many facts you have. You're not changing my mind. Well, that's all I see anymore from a great number of people. But, and you and I have talked about this, Terry, and I know, Jim, you have talked about it. We've talked about it as well. There's enough stuff going on lately that we somehow begin to recruit more people suddenly more people are going you know something's wrong with this so uh terry when was it when did you first fall upon the idea that this thing was rotten from the beginning after 9 11 really 
um, that's what really started my deep research and led me to get to know Red and others, um, yourself included. Uh, when I reckoned, I, when I saw what happened with the with the towers, with the twin towers, because I have a construction background and had witnessed controlled demolitions before, I saw live on, or at least it was supposed to be live uh, on television. What happened? I said that's a controlled demolition, and that that's that pretty much began my uh, my cure, if you will, of my red, white, and blue fever. Um, so during during that time after two thousand and one, I became a deep researcher myself, and um, that that cured me of <laughs> of my delusions that 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 anything about this government uh, could be trusted. What was the hardest thing for you to accept, Terry, when you got into that? What was the hardest thing? Because I know, and people don't understand it. I understand why people reject this. I really do. Because if you take someone and you put them under indoctrination for 20 to 30 years, they hold that knowledge as if it belongs to them and it's the hardest thing in the world to get them to turn loose of that because it's their knowledge and you're attacking their knowledge something that they believe is their personal property and it's tough to penetrate that shell but uh, what uh, do you remember uh, besides 9-11 was there any particular document or anything uh, just as a question, let me throw this out there. What were your thoughts on Patrick Henry before 9-11? Well, I knew very little about Patrick Henry before 9-11, except what you get through the uh, public fool system, <laughs> um, indoctrination, uh, you know, give me liberty, give me death. I, I had no idea that he was the biggest opponent to the, uh, to the constitution current constitution. Uh, I I knew he was an anti-federalist, but I didn't know that he had uh, refused to be a delegate uh, to the Constitutional Convention in 1787. I knew none of that because none of that was taught in the schools. So before before 9-11, I, you know, uh, I was right along with a lot of these other indoctrinated people. I didn't buy into socialism. I didn't buy into um, Keynesian economics. I didn't buy into a lot of a lot of different different things on the left. But but I had I had made a lot of excuses for the right uh, up until 9/11, and then after that, it, it was it was challenging for me. It was two things that were the biggest challenges for me. One, you just touched on the fact that people are so indoctrinated that that they cannot accept the truth. Um, when, given, when given factual information, they would reject it and be in denial about it because they did not want to change their belief system, which was based on a bunch of lies. That was a challenge for me. The other thing that was a challenge for me was that they, the Hegelian dialectic narratives give both sides what they want to hear 
to keep the left-right debate sustained. They have, they have to keep that left-right debate going so they don't, they don't just lie on one side, they lie on both sides. So frequently what we want to hear may not be true. And that was, a, that, was a, that was my second biggest challenge, I believe. Well, you know, 40 years ago now was when CIA Director William Casey said, we will know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. And most people, Terry, you, you just touched on it. Most people do not understand the ramifications or the dynamics of a psychological operation. And in a psychological operation, for it to be effective, you have to get both sides to believe your lies, which, you, which means you have to have different stories for each side to believe, none of which are true. And that is something that I've had some discussions with. I had a major falling out uh, last month with someone over that issue because this person kept saying, well, you know, there's Hunter Biden's laptop. And I said, how you know that? Well, I, I saw it. It was on Fox. Oh, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. It was where? Well, I saw the laptop. I saw the pictures. I know it's real. How do you know it's real? You believe it's real because that's what you want to believe because it reinforces your position of uh, Democrats are bad, Republicans are good. And that is the whole purpose of a PSYOP. That is the reason, uh, you know, with that crazy story that went around for how many years about Hillary Clinton's secret emails. CNN, Fox News, and everybody feasted on that for years and if anyone had any knowledge whatsoever, they know that was an impossibility. You cannot have a secret server. The National Security Agency copies every electronic signal that occurs in this country, whether it comes from us sending a text back and forth to each other, to any emails, all emails. Everything is stored right outside of Salt Lake City. Everything is captured. You cannot transmit anything in this country that is not captured. I don't care how secret your server is. If you have to use the airwaves or electronic signals or impulses, your signal is captured. But they came out with this story about Hillary's laptop, which kept the left, uh, you know, the right all fired up for how many years. Then it was Hunter's uh, laptop, uh, which kept people all fired up for years. And that is the whole purpose of a master psyop. Everything the people believe is true. The problem is, is to getting people to reject that which they want to believe is true. And that's hard to do. It's hard to get by the human psyche because people naturally want to believe these things, especially about somebody as nasty and as villainous as the Clintons and the Bidens. So what do you do? You, you come up with a false tale. Mark and Twain when, nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> Mark, Mark Twain nailed it when he, when he said, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And he was exactly right. He was right spot on. Well, uh, if you had to tell, Terry, a brand new student in front of you who had never heard of Red Beckman and you had 
five minutes to tell them about red, what would you tell them? Well, some of the things we just mentioned, but red always brought things back to the spiritual battle. Everything he, he always would never allow a show to end without recognizing that everything that had been talked about is part of the spiritual battle. He, he was a firm believer in our father in heaven and our, and our Messiah. Um, and he knew that this all was satanic. He knew that the problems we faced, that the, all the governments were infiltrated by satanic forces. And that, that wakes some people up. If you don't, if you don't mention that the people who may have some access to the Holy spirit, um, they, this will this will open their eyes when they recognize that this is not just a financial battle. It's not just a political battle. It's a spiritual battle. All of it. The stuff on Big Pharma. The stuff that Jim Jim Ram talks about, and the uh, the, the whole thing with this this uh, COVID crap. All of this, every bit of it, comes back to the spiritual battle. And these people that are behind this stuff have no conscience. They're either psychopaths or sociopaths. They either don't know what's right or they don't know right from wrong or they know right from wrong and do wrong anyway. And Red always brought that point out. Well, here was the other thing I wanted to ask you. And that was, um, were you ever taught, and I should have asked you this about Patrick Henry, but were you ever taught in any of your education that the people of the founding era, when they mentioned it, all said that Patrick Henry was the most devout Christian among them? Were you ever taught that? The first time I heard that, uh, Mike, was from you. Why do you think the government would not want the people to know that the largest opponent of the Constitution was the most devout Christian? Well, it comes back to what we talked about, of them, them feeding information or narrative on both sides of the aisle. They, they, they want the consent and the participation and the abdication of Christians. They are not Christians themselves. They worship Lucifer. And, and that is the father of deception. So, you know, you, you hear what William Casey said, and you, you, you understand that there is, a, there is a dialectic going on here and that, that there's, there's lies being told on both sides of that. And it's, it's done to keep them participating, to keep them consenting to the, to the uh, corruption in, and the control of the government. So they have to control the information. They have to control the beliefs on both sides. And to admit that a Christian, the most devout Christian, was opposed to their, to their plan and manipulation and control would wake too many people up. So they, they've got to keep them asleep. They've got to keep them indoctrinated. 
Well, absolutely. And I know this is quite a jump. And you and I talked about this before uh, uh, Sarge gave us the call here. But uh, tell tell uh, the audience, I think this is uh, certainly relevant. Tell the folks who are listening what uh, you were telling me what happened in Colorado with the political system. And I because I think this fortifies our position. Well, it was the ugliest primary uh, cycle that anybody had seen in their lifetime. Um, in Colorado, just in the state house races alone, $3 million was spent by independent expenditure committees to keep the top line conservative candidates from making it to the November ballot. They smeared them with, with um, they, would, they would put out false information or exaggerated information um, and they would put out flyers to pe people in the mail through text messaging and through surveys to stir up um, dissension against the most conservative candidates that had been selected as the top line candidates coming out of the caucus assembly process. And these were these are so-called Republicans or conservatives that are associated with the establishment that were doing this. They did not want to see any candidate get to the state capitol that they could not rely upon their vote as dictated by the establishment. So it was a huge smear campaign and a lot of deep pocket money put into it. Um, I, I don't know what else I can say there other than it was it was the ugliest of the of the primary uh, cycles we've ever seen. And basically, the party's done nothing about it, by the way. Well, they're not going to because they're part of it. Uh, if I may interject here, I think that is essentially what we're seeing is another psyop here. And that's part of the psyop. And I would just like to point it out that everybody knows. It's been predicted almost everywhere that they expect the 2022 election to be a landslide in favor of conservatives. So if you're running a PSYOP and you know that very possibly could happen, you want to make sure that any so-called conservative elected is in your pocket. Because you don't want the people to be able to actually say something's wrong with this government and we can fix it. You want them to have the illusion they can fix it by voting for a Republican, which they have already picked. Now, I think what you said happened in Colorado uh, fortifies my uh, position uh, very well. Well, I'll say this. I believe that they have sufficiently discouraged conservative voters from participating at this point. But on top of that, um, they've made a mockery of the caucus assembly system and process, but they have exposed the corruption of the leadership within the party. Uh, and I don't know that anything can be done about that any more than, you know, any, no elections ever solved the problems we've got anyway. Well, Terry, I remember the 2008, uh, convention, Republican party convention in, uh, uh, Colorado. I remember very well how that the uh, Ron Paul delegates were just absolutely destroyed at that convention. 
where the rules for Ron Paul delegates and the rules for John McCain delegates were 180 degrees different. As it was in the previous cycle with Romney. Yes, exactly. Well, that was 2012, though, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, 2008, 2012, they did the Republican Party in Colorado did exactly the same thing. They made darn sure that the voice and one of the things I will never forget, those wonderful war loving Republicans at that 2008 convention was when a disabled veteran who had uh, been hit with an IED. And he got up and they allowed him to speak. He went up to speak at that convention, a man who had lost limbs, and he was giving a presentation. And when he started speaking in favor of Ron Paul, he was booed off the stage. That's when I, that's when I really knew the heart of a conservative Republican was as black as Satan. Mm-hmm. Because they they will eat their own. Here was a guy. He got cheers and everything. They gave his, you know, who he was with in Iraq and all this other stuff and his medals and awards and everything. But as soon as he talked favorably about Ron Paul instead of John McCain, he was absolutely excoriated. There is the heart of your Republican Party. Any other thoughts or stuff you would like to jump on here, Terry? We've got a few more minutes before we bring in the uh, bring in the Sarge and, and uh, the people who might have questions for us. Well, Red Red was just an honorable man, and he stood behind what he said. His courage was beyond reproach. Um, he wasn't afraid to, to take risk for himself uh, or his billfold to bring out the truth and to educate people. And his books he wrote because he wanted that education to continue beyond the end of his life on this earth. I have no doubt where Red is and where he will be and how he will be sustained eternally because he loved his father in heaven. He loved Jesus is what he would call him. Um, I just had the highest respect for him. The other thing that was really interesting about Red was that he had a way to communicate with the common man. He wrote at about a fourth grade level. His intelligence was far beyond that, but that's the way he communicated. He did things in a way that everybody would get the message. I remember a show where I had uh, Dr. Edwin Vieira on, who I have the high esteem for. He's been another mentor of mine, particularly on the sound money issues, because he wrote the great works called Pieces of Eight that you'll find in law libraries. He had four Harvard degrees, argued before the Supreme Court four times. So he and Red are on this show, and Vieira had written a book called Constitutional Homeland Security, which was basically about colonial militia. Well, Red had written the book, Why the Militia? 
So I asked the two of them which one they thought was the be- had the better book. And Red chimed up and he said, well, mine's definitely the better book. And uh, so I said, well, why? He says, because it doesn't take four Harvard degrees to understand it. <laughs> That's crack, right. Crack, crack me up. And even even Vieira laughed at that. It was funny. So that's well, the here, kind of man that Beckman was. I noticed uh, when I was doing some research, just to reacquaint myself with uh, a lot of Red's books, I have several of them, including that uh, uh, A Born Again Republic, my very first copy that I ever had, and it's got to be uh, nearing 40 years old for sure. Uh, and I, I started looking just as a random search. Did you know some of his books are $6 used and some of them are over 350? 350? $350 for a used book. Yes. No, I did not know that at all. Well, research uh, some of A books. Uh, there were some on A books. Research and uh, at some point in time, I would like for you and I to uh, look at those titles and see why uh, they are trying to, uh, and I believe when they price things like that, they know that the common guy out here uh, paying uh, five bucks a gallon for gasoline is not going to pay $350 for a book, uh, just like people will not pay 930 bucks for uh, uh, 24 uh, Sentinel essays. Uh, that is, uh, in my mind, a something to keep these words out of that and then you and i also discussed uh although you hadn't seen it i will forward it to you and i'm going to send it to jim as well and it really intrigued me that after red's death now you and i both know how the southern poverty law center went after him when he was alive but after his death the southern poverty law center sends an foia a foia request to the fbi wanting all of their files on red and the thing that really kind of torqued me off was in their FOIA request the SPLC offered a copy of his obituary and some of those things just don't make sense but I will forward it to you because I found it why after they had trashed him for years why did they want all of the FBI's documents on Red Beckman after he passed away. Of course, knowing the slimy uh, SOBs that inhabit the SPLC, I'm not uh, surprised. Well, the only reason that I can think that they would go through a FOIA request would be so that they could officially put that information out at, at their leisure because they they have infiltrated the FBI and the CIA, they have people inside those organizations that they can call on to, to do their bidding. So they could have gotten all that information and probably already had all of that information before doing that FOIA request. But by doing it through FOIA, it puts them in a position where they can use it at their leisure. Well, that is true, but uh, I, th- I think it might be the other way around, Terry. I believe that the SPLC is an operating branch of the CIA. Well, so is the ADL. Right, exactly. Along with, and this one's going to shock a lot of people, but I did research on this, uh, guys, back years ago, and I'm going to tell 
tell you something else. I'm not going to make any friends with this, but I'll tell you another outreach arm of the uh, CIA, and that is none other than the motorcycle group called Hell's Angels. That's not surprising to me. It's still shocking, but it's not surprising. I can I can offer considerable evidence on that point, and uh, uh, I believe uh, you know there's a couple of instances that happened, including the shootout that uh, occurred in uh, Nevada in uh, Reno, I think, not Los Angeles. I mean, not Las Vegas, but Reno this time. They had a shootout there, and uh, there was a shootout between the three uh, percenter Vagos and the uh, Hell's Angels. Uh, where the uh, leader of uh, the San Jose uh, branch of the Hells Angels was actually killed. And uh, after the shooting, the uh, law enforcement went in, including the FBI, and told the Vagos to uh, not wear their colors, but to get their butts out of town. And they had so many hours to do it. And then the Hells Angels group was escorted out of Nevada by a full-flown police escort that is just one of the many other incidents and then at the funeral of that uh, leader of the <laughs> uh, leader of the uh, hell's angels uh, I call them the red and whites uh, at their uh, at the funeral that occurred in San Jose for this leader who was killed uh, there were approximately 4,000 bikers at the funeral and uh, about probably about half that many members of law enforcement and uh, standing at the gravesite, one uh, uh, motorcyclist uh, pulls out a pistol and kills the oncoming new uh, chairman of the, or new leader of the uh, Hells Angels. And he falls into the grave with the other guy and the guy who shot him escaped. Imagine that. <laughs> Can you believe that happened? But anyway, that's just a little antidote I threw in there for uh, uh, for fun and uh, what have you. But uh, Jim, uh, jump in here. I, I'm sure you have some questions, sir. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, while you were doing all this stuff, I was uh, doing a search online. I wanted to get a picture of Red to put on uh, for the replay. And I just typed into uh, my search engine, Red Beckman. And I got, oh, one, two, three, four pictures of him and a couple of pictures of his books and hundreds of pictures of Red Wing Shoes, the Beckman yes. Oxford. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that just same, tells Jim. you how they're trying to uh, cover up anything and everything about this great American. And it's just, uh, it's, it's amazing. But yeah, I'm just scrolling through and I'm nothing but shoes. <laughs> that's, that's really crazy. Um, and I, I think I actually had a chance to meet Red uh, years ago. He was at one of the survival shows that a buddy of mine and I put on. And I got a couple of his books. I also have a copy of The Law That Never Was that I got from Bill Benson. And uh, I'll tell you what, just the research that uh, he and Bill did on that one book was just amazing and the fact that um, everything that went on with him uh, trying to get his case to the Supreme Court and get information about the 16th Amendment uh, recognized by any court of course you know we know that's not going to happen um, but just a wonderful guy and I, I really don't know all that much about him other than 
pretty much what you said today. And, uh, but I do, I know, I know the name. And like I said, I have the book that I read years ago. I wish, I don't even know where it is now. It's in a box somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, if you could see my office, you'd see why. But, um, the, uh, the information that, uh, he put out and the way he did it and, uh, just the life, life that he lived was, uh, above reproach from what I can tell. And to be attacked after his death by, you know, the uh, operatives of the CIA, SPLC and ADL, is not surprising at all. Um, they want to do everything they can, just like I'm seeing right now, nothing but shoes when I try and look something up about him. Um, <laughs> they're just trying to erase him. Uh, that's that's cancel culture before it was cool, Jim, so to did speak. did you ever see... Jim, did you ever see his book, Do Unto the IRS as They Would Do Unto You? No. That sounds yes, like a beaut. That's, <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah, you need that one, Jim. Oh, man. We digit we actually digitized that. So if you can't get your hands on one, I can actually send you probably a PDF file of it. Oh, but, I'll uh, tell you he, what. He, he had a great sense of humor. And, and you combine humor with courage. And you, you get a very interesting result. Um, oh, yeah. He, he had fun writing that book. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> and one of the things that he put in there was a letter to the IRS basically telling them that they were mentally disturbed and, and that uh, that they needed to seek help. And he, he had fun with it. He actually had fun with it. Oh, man. That's pretty good. Yeah, I would love a copy of that. Mike's got my email. If uh, if you would be so kind as to send that to me, I'd appreciate it. And I know there's other folks on the board here that would uh, benefit from that too. And I can pass it along. Um, that is just amazing. I'm looking forward to uh, reading that one. But hey, uh, uh, guys, uh, Terry, did you ever? This was one of the things I was thinking about as I thought about Red. In the times I was fortunate enough to talk to Red both on the phone and, you know, when we were on radio. And here was something, and almost anyone who comes into your life, there are times when you're talking to them when you say, you know, I really need to get off this phone. And I was thinking about the times I was fortunate enough to talk with Red Beckman. Did you ever, ever want the conversation to end with Red? Did I? Yes. Um, well, there were a couple of times that I, I resisted um, arguing or debating an issue with Red. Uh, he, had, he had some opinions of prophecy, of scriptural prophecy that I did not necessarily agree with, but I did not have it in my heart uh, to disagree uh, blatantly with what he was saying. And th th those were the only times that I remember that I welcomed ending the conversation because I, I just was biting my lip. It wasn't because of what was read with saying necessarily, but it was because of what I did not want to say because I had such high esteem and respect for him. Well, I don't think that's there's honest, any. That's an honest answer. 
I understand that, and I understand it came from your heart, but I'll tell you one thing. Knowing Red, uh, that uh, the bit that I did, I don't think there is any debate in the world he would shrink from. No, he wouldn't shrink from it. It's, it's just that he, he was so passionate about some things that to, to say it more than once, because he, he, he was stubborn on some issues, no. And he, <laughs> yeah, he was really stubborn <laughs> on some issues. So it wasn't that he would shrink from the debate. It was that, you know, I would, I just, I didn't have it in my heart to, uh, to come on as strong as it might've been necessary to, uh, and it would have, it would have, you know, he, he loved, he loved the, his, his vision of the truth. And, and 99% of the time he was absolutely right on. So but you know, more often than not, the conversations with Red were a joy because he didn't keep he didn't he really have his feelings on his sleeve. So he would never back down from a from a, from a, a debate or an issue. Um, and when he got phone calls from the SBLC people, he he flat out enjoyed talking to them. <laughs> that was my thought. Nobody loved talking to the enemy more than Red. That's right. That's amazing. Oh. By the way, I just tried to do a search for do unto the IRS as they would do unto you, and it came up with a thing about it and uh, says, get a copy. It clicked Amazon and says, can't find that page. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Well, well guys. Uh, my, my, son, my son actually posted that, and... He he basically discontinued the company that he set up to put to put that out there, and he never took that post down. So I know exactly what you're talking about and why. That's amazing. But we we have that digitized copy, so we'll get it to you. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Oh, you're you going to love that one, Jim. You can send your check for $350. Okay, just give me the address. <laughs> I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking at six of his books here. Um, the do unto the IRS as they do, would do to you and you, the, the picture of red, the, the, a cartoon kind of picture, um, he's holding a screw in one hand and a screwdriver in the other, and he's got this <laughs> grin on his face. Yep. So... I've got the church deceived, which is one that was one of my hard hard reads. That was tough for me to read when I read it. I got that. Got one. that born again republic. You got why the militia. His last book called Last Sheep Lost Sheep Found is yes. very interesting, um, especially for for Christians, especially for Zionist Christians. They should get that book because that's what he was trying to dispel was the neo-Zionist view of things. And then I've got the hard, hardback copy or hardback original of the law that never was. So I guess I got about a thousand dollars worth of books here. <laughs> Good for you. Mm. Uh, uh, that was uh, he sent me a case of that last book. Sent me one autographed, and he wouldn't accept any money for it. He just asked me to distribute those books. I remember doing that back in uh, Colorado. Yep. I'm still that, that was. That was just the kind of guy he was. Uh, well, Jim, do we have any questions from uh, the Jitsi folks? 
Well, let's ask. Anybody out there? We got uh, plenty of people on the board. Anybody have any questions for uh, for um, either Terry or Mike? Oh, come on. I'm not hearing that. Nah. This is weird. Darn it, we put them to sleep again. Yeah, that's my crickets. <laughs> I got a I got a suggestion. He said that you, you guys shut down a, a book publisher or something. You could have Money Tree Publish and uh, sell that book. Or uh, what's the other one? They got Moon Rock Books or whatever. If nobody's selling it, you need to get it out there. Yeah, that's a possibility, Cody. It certainly is. Uh, I just had a crazy thought. Uh, I want to ask uh, you, Terry, and I wanted to ask you, Jim. Okay. Both of you. Uh, you can uh, think on your answers. Five years after you've gone on to your heavenly reward and someone types you into Google, what are they going to get? <laughs> I don't even know what they get now. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you think the government will do to you by then? I mean, if the country's still around and there still is an Internet, uh, what do you think that uh, where will Google take people who are trying to find out about Jim Ram and Terry Dodd? Well, I wouldn't expect it to be honest. Spit lickers. Spit lickers. SPLC. We'll take you to spit lickers. <laughs> All right, Mur. <laughs> yeah, uh, Cooper of Shark Hunters calls them that. Boy, that's a good wow. question. I mean, that just that just popped into my head when, uh, uh, Jim, when you said that you were looking for red. I had the same thing. I mean, when you get 27 uh, pages of uh, <laughs> shoes when you're uh, researching a man of the caliber of Red Beckman and all you get is uh, the majority of it is shoes, that tells you something. My guess is uh, when you put my name, and you probably get a bunch of pictures of um, goats <laughs> with horns. <laughs> Why use Google? Oh, yeah. Well, we, we can any use any engine. of them, Mer, but uh, it, will any of them uh, that is, uh, and all of them in some ways are controlled. I know there are many out there trying hard to, uh, and some of them are better than others. But... Uh, well, I mean, even DuckDuckGo and StartPage, they both uh, use DuckDuckGo is owned by Jews. And, uh, yep. Yep, Q1 that is true. It's the only one that references their own. So, there's a you chance. You've got to dig yep. for truth anymore because they're struggling Q1. as fast as they can. Yeah, that you is know. true. But, Mer, when, uh, if, yeah. if, quant, if Quant gets strong enough and becomes a threat, They'll find some way to censor yeah. them, babe. Well, it's Q want. No one even wants to say Q by itself now. How powerful is that media? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Q want. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. So, uh, well, Mur, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> well, pretty good, good for an Terry. older guy. Pretty good for oh, an yeah. older guy. Uh, yeah, me too. Older growl, but... I wanted to say about Colorado in 2016, right? They have a caucus instead of a primary. Right. But they were afraid of competition. They wanted to back Hildebeest and the sodomite governor there. 
So they yep. didn't even hold any caucus because they knew Trump would overthrow it. So playing that game. Well, that uh, I saw up close and personal uh, in Colorado starting in 2010. I saw just how absolutely corrupt the Republican Party was. Of course, we already know, uh, you know, I like uh, Dr. Wilson, Clyde Wilson's book, uh, he's got a book out, and he says that the, uh, I forgot how many years ago it was, but the title of the book is uh, The Democratic Party is Evil, the Republican Party is Stupid. That's but pretty I accurate. think they're what both she's evil. Referring to, what she's referring to is not a caucus or assembly. They, they did hold the caucus. They did hold the assemblies as usual in that cycle. But what they did the previous year was they held a straw poll at caucus. And that really uh, prompted people to show up for caucus because they wanted to vote in the straw poll. The following cycle, they, they did not hold the straw poll because uh, I'm not sure, I can't really explain exactly why they didn't, but that's what went on was that the following cycle they did not hold a straw poll because they did not like the way that the publicity of it was handled. Uh, thank you well, for explaining you, that. Okay. Um, uh, Terry, uh, what year was it that uh, uh, the good Republican Tom Tancredo uh, did everything he could to make sure that Hickenlooper got to be governor? Well, it was Hickenlooper's first term, which would have been 12 years ago. Okay, I was I was just trying to remember the year because uh, they. Uh, Let me think about that. Polis, Polis is up for election this year in 2022, so Hickenlooper had eight years before that. So yeah, 12 years ago it would have been 12 years ago. So 2010. Yeah. Yes. Okay, the Republicans had a strong candidate that very possibly would have won the election, but the good Republican Tom Tancredo, and I got to shoot him down in person in Cortez. Yeah, Dan Mays, they brought him up. He was a good candidate, looked like he might be elected. Tom Tancredo jumps to the Constitution Party and makes it a three-way race, which absolutely ensured that Hickenlooper would become governor. That was planned from way back in the beginning. Well, Clear Channel is who brought out the, um, the fraudulent claims against Mays and denigrated him. And who owns Clear Channel, or at the time owned their channel, but Bain Capital. Oh, Mitt Romney. Capital, who owned Bain Capital, but, but Romney. Yeah. Willard so Romney. The gal, the gal that they marched out as the poor little old lady that that uh, had donated to Mays and, and, and he had mistreated her was none other than Frida Poundstone, yeah. the ex-mayor of Greenwood Village, who was a hard, tough person who I knew personally. She was the one that put forth the Poundstone Amendment that stopped Denver from annexing down into Greenwood Village. Here's a savvy person that they marched out as this poor, old, uh, you know, weak, meek lady that Mays took advantage of. 
And the only person taking advantage of anybody was Frida Poundstone and Dan Credo taking advantage. Do you know how much money Dan Credo lost from the Bernie Madoff deal? Uh, I have no idea. I, it, it, it was reported. I do not, not have first-hand information. I, it was reported that he lost $1.2 million. And it was shortly after that 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 happened. So, you know, do you think maybe there might have been um, some means of recovering some of his loss to make that happen? Well, he had I preached. Think... He had preached for years against running third party. Third party, yep. Well, the one of the highlights of my political life, uh, the short time that it was, I wasn't involved in uh, running for office, but in 2010, when he came to Cortez, Colorado, and he made an appearance, and I was able to embarrass Tom Tancredo so bad, he grabbed, he yelled at his staff, and they left the meeting. And that was one of those things I'll always be proud of because he was involved in the Minuteman project. And he was there to shut down the Minuteman project. He was the, he you remember he was all about illegal immigration, Terry? Yeah, and the majority of his donations came from outside the state of Colorado. Yeah, a total fraud. A total fraud. And I asked him uh in that meeting, I said, well, do you remember sending a letter with congressional letterhead to the heads of the uh, Minuteman Project telling them to shut the project down in the first week that it was open? And he said, no, no, I never did that. I would never do that. I was all for the Minutemen. I was there to support them. And I said, uh, Mr. Tancredo, I have a copy of your letter right here. And I held up the letter and he grabbed his staff and they hustled their butts right on out of the meeting. The only thing he did, he succeeded in doing was mobilizing the Hispanic vote against conservatives. Well, I think that's what he was there for. And he promised he promised the uh, Constitution Party, which they fell for his lies, because the Constitution Party just wanted a name to run for office. They didn't care who it was. And They're he trying to get majority status. You know, they they want to get out of that minority minority party status. You know. Yep, exactly. That's why they're that's why they're working with Dan, Danielle Neuschwander now. Hmm. Per exactly. Exactly. It's it's certainly interesting when you look at these events and you look at how things happen. And I I've told people and they get I've got people who really don't like me because of this and I really don't care. But when the final score is tallied, it will be proved beyond question that the people who destroyed this country were right-wing conservative, uh, right-wing conservative Christians. I use that term Christian loosely. And I still believe they will, they have done as much to destroy this country as any Marxist anywhere. But of course, then again, we have to realize that the Republican Party was 
founded by Marxists in 1854. And I don't think they've ever changed their colors. And the majority of them, not all of them, but the majority of them think that what they are doing is right. Well, that's true, Terry. And stop and think of this. If you are young and naive or old and naive, either one, and you think that the answer, and you do believe in the true values, and you think, okay, I need to run for office. I really want to run for office because I think I can change something. Which party are you going to pick? Except if you have, you know, like Red and said, well, I'm a Jeffersonian Democrat. But the majority of people who have anything that we call a feeling toward liberty or freedom or anything else, there's no way in hell they would ever run as a Democrat. Not in today's world. There's no way anybody with the inkling of the true meaning of rightful liberty, freedom, they would never run as a Democrat because they know they're opposed to it. So that leaves you with a two-party system. You've only got one choice. So if you're running a PSYOP, what do you have to make sure you do? You have to make sure you control the opposition party. If you're going to control the opposition, you must be the opposition. And that's exactly what they've done. And we've just gone through that, uh, Terry, you talking about this election cycle, us talking about Tancredo and all of the things that have gone on. This is proof positive. And now I think we're going to see it in a huge scale because now the people are becoming invigorated. They're, they're becoming energized. And as the people who could make a difference become energized in sufficient numbers, your PSYOP has to be in place to rob them of that authority and to rob them of that power. And I think you just gave us a perfect illustration of how they're going to do it in Colorado, and they'll use that same dynamic in other states as well. Knowing what I know, I would not debate a single thing you just said. They are doing it. It's not what they're going to do. They're doing it. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And uh, so, uh, Jim, we still don't have any questions. Man, I, I, I feel bad. We need to get Murr back in here, I guess. Yeah, really? really? I'm surprised so. nobody else has anything to say. But, uh, come on, Murr. Come on, okay. Murr. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, and I, I meant to put it in last week. Um, I don't know that much about bread, but I'm learning. But um, Russell Means is who Ron Paul first pushed out when he left the Republicans and went to Libertarians in 87 for the 88 election. He squeezed right. Russell Means out. Yeah. But I was also going to say about in, in Denver is the um, domicile of Larry Mizell, who is the currently the head of uh, Kosher Nostra. And mm -hmm. it's inhabited by that ancient demon that's been in all the rest of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, very good observation there, Murr. Very good. Oh. Cody, you're too quiet. Have you fallen asleep? I think he may have jumped off. I'm not seeing him oh. in here. Oh, there he is. No, I was just picking some stuff in the garden and getting some weeds and then uh, <laughs> eating my beautiful wife's uh, cooking. So, mm. All right. I, I, I will expect a care package sometimes toward the middle of next week. Well, if you, if you get up this way, I'll give you a bunch. I got a huge garden. so. 
<laughs> you get up this way seeing your son stop by. Oh, well, thanks for the offer, buddy. I appreciate it. Hey, uh, about spit liquors, too. I said about Harry Cooper and the shark hunters, but it's perfect in the chat rooms. You capitalize the SPLC in it, see? Spit liquors. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were coming after him, you know, and he has just so much knowledge. He's an admiral, and he had been in, I guess, CIA originally. But uh, the truth about all the Germans that went to South America, including Hitler, who lived out his natural life until 1962 and died in Chow Chow, which is spelled L-L-A-O-L-L-A-O. <laughs> but that's where the different presidents from here went to visit him, including Kennedy. Scorzini died in Montana. Yeah. But this bit about the paperclip and they, you know, oh, they were the booty. These German scientists, everybody was fighting over them. They wanted them. Wasn't like they were yes. invading here. <laughs> that was scooping off the Ab cream. Absolutely. Could... And Mer, who there's was the? There's a... Oh, go ahead, Terry. There's an interesting article that's still on the Pro Liberty website. That's the widow. That site's maintained by the widow of the guy that had the Idaho Observer. Don Nikoloff wrote the 42-page article, and it was based on Webster Tarpley's research. But you can go do a search for Scorzini, Idaho, deathbed, and it will pull up a pro-liberty website where you can see the 42-page article that Nikoloff posted on the Idaho Observer originally that shows about paperclip, shows the true name of the Scherf, of the of the Bush family, Scherf, which were really yeah. the Scherf family. But that 42-page article is a real eye-opener for people. Yeah. Well, you're talking about Angry Castle, and her husband's name was Don Harkins. And he was a targeted individual. They killed him via satellite or however, but just sort of tore him apart bit by bit, constant diarrhea and uh, attack. But anyway... She has a show on Republic Broadcasting on Saturday nights at 7 to 9 p.m. Central. And uh, she has vaclib.org. And she's second generation fighting the vaccines. And I was just looking I've up because uh, there was a misquote. <laughs> Erica Khan with Jeff Rents talking about how uh, smallpox, how they gave him blankets. with That's a lie. It came down to bed bugs. This is just another lie perpetrated that they were given blankets with smallpox. It's a lie. Let me, let, let me give you a, a, a small piece of information. I, I read Nikolov's article back in 2008, I believe, is when I first discovered that. And I had tried to have some conversation with people about it. And of course, people just would look at you like you're absolutely nuts. And a couple of years ago, I was listening to a live interview with Lee Wanta, Leo Wanta, who was an ambassador under Reagan. Yes, he was the one that totem doctrine. Only, only he Lincoln the, and he, he and Reagan used that ambassador directly to the president. Yeah. He did the currency plays with the rubles that br helped bring down the USSR by, by destroying the value of the ruble back at the time. So anyway... 
Yes, There's he did. all sorts of stories about the lawsuits and the federal uh, judgments that he was able to get. But anyway, I'm listening to this interview with Lee Wanton live, and he's telling this story about the Chinese who had come to him during the Reagan administration and told him that they wanted him to pass a message on to Reagan that they never, ever wanted to have to deal with H.W. Bush again because they didn't trust him. And so Wanta's passing this message on for the Chinese to, the, to Reagan, and Reagan goes, yeah, I know his real name's Scherf, and I never wanted him as my vice president. Well, he just yeah. confirmed that Reagan knew all the way back then about the whole story that Nikoloff had posted, and nobody wanted to hear but yep. that confirmed for me that that story was absolutely true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Scorzini apparently was in, um, I think it was him, right? That was in the uh, room with uh, Tesla when, when, in fact, he was the one that smothered him. <laughs> and Junior Scherf. I think it was he and Reinhard Galen that were, that were the CIA agents that walked into Tesla's hotel room in New York and snuffed him. And yeah. and Scorzini admitted that Scorzini admitted that on his deathbed to his yeah. future son-in-law. Yeah, and 19-year-old G.H.W. Bush was in there, Scherf, sorting through the papers, and then most of that stuff went to Uncle John, Donald Trump's uncle. Now that's something I didn't know. <laughs> so. Yeah, very cozy. So you're in Denver? Uh, no, I'm out in Wisconsin, in the wilderness. <laughs> I love okay. it. Well, you kept talking about Denver and Colorado. I thought maybe we were neighbors. No, but I'm just looking into things there. And, you know, there's a, like six ley lines that go through Denver, and they have those tunnels where they used to hustle the uh, coal around in the winter to the different places underneath. And uh, it's connected mm -hmm. to, to under the Navari. And the uh, Brown Palace is where the limos pull up. And the Satanists, the head ones, 12 or 13 of them, what, whatever now. And there's a special elevator and they go down and they do their sacrifice in the nude and the blood and all that. On uh, the uh, summer solstice in particular. But, of course, they have one in the winter solstice. And there's festivities and the equinox and the periods in between and... So people don't realize you know, just how in much. In the last couple of years, in the last couple of years, there's been some pretty big explosions, explosions in those tunnels. Mm, um, well, guess anyway, where the you, you and I should that, you and I should have some off off air conversation. Oh, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I I'd, I'd bore you. <laughs> sure. Everybody flirts with myrrh. <laughs> and I love Can't it. Blame. I, I can't blame you, Terry. Pro proves all your taste is not in your mouth. <laughs> well, there's a few things that I could have commented on that, that I <laughs> probably should not. <laughs> I'll tell Wendy. Uh, it has no reference to that sort of thing. <laughs> I know, I know. Got to give you a hard time. Jim, you're too quiet. What's going on, buddy? Oh, I'm just sitting here enjoying the conversation. I like to listen. <laughs> I learn more that way. <laughs> well, Mert, do you know where the uh, 
where the summer equinox is held? I mean, the fall equinox, do you know where that is held in an underground facility? No, do you? Yes. Or, oh, tell south us. Of, so, south of Tucson. Ah. Remember, so remember, the, remember the, the missile silos? Yeah, the Satanists are snowbirds, huh? <laughs> yes. Yeah, there is a, a special uh, silo there where they hold those ceremonies that you mentioned that occur in Wisconsin. They occur in southern Arizona during the winter. Oh, I said Denver. Yeah, Colorado. Oh, Denver. I'm sorry. Uh, why did I say Wisconsin? First I don't day know. with my. They're new probably brain. going on here somewhere too. Yeah, first day with my new brain. Anybody else got any questions? Gosh, where's Mark? He's not here today. Oh no! All right. Well, Mark him absent. Will he'll have to do makeup? Yep. He's gonna be sad he missed this one. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to catch the replay. Goodness gracious. Is that Samuel? No, it's Dave and the Thumb. Go ahead, Dave. Oh, Dave and the Thumb. Go, Dave and the Thumb. So you, I I had to drop off for a while, but you were mentioning the NSA and private servers and stuff. How come they took away everybody's Blackberries? I'm not really sure. I wasn't privy to that information at the time, but I am privy to the fact, and I can tell you this, that there is not a stroke made on a computer. There is not a voice on a telephone call. There's not a text message. There is nothing electronic or signal that the NSA does not capture. Now, that doesn't mean they're not listening, that they're listening to it at the time, but it is stored. And when they decide on someone to target, they can go back and put all this stuff up. That facility right outside of Salt Lake City takes 3 million gallons of water a day to cool their computers. Right. I've heard all that. Anyway, so that, they, you know, I, I just know that Obama and Hillary both had Blackberries, and uh, I know they did all their stuff with them. And um, I know people that had their Blackberries shut right off. Um because they wouldn't support them anymore. And that was before, you know, they got that done before when Hillary and Obama were still using theirs. Um, but move on to Red Beckman. So I've, I've told you about our national-assembly.net uh, before, and we use Red Beckman, you know, as one of our tools to, you know, share with people, you know, where redbeckman.com. And there's a guy out in Idaho that's recently joined us and I can't think of, you know, who he is or what his link is, but he said that he's been in contact with the Beckman family and they're supposed to be re through this guy in Idaho. Um, they're supposed to be reprinting all of his books and the assembly is going to be selling them, you know, at a nominal fee. So I heard you mention that, you know, some of his books are going for 350 bucks on Amazon. Uh, you know, you'll be able to buy brand new copies, um, you know, for very nominal fee that will support the assembly's movement. So you might want to look into that. They're, you know, some of the guys that started the assembly were, um, you know, were friends with Red. And uh, anyway, I, I appreciate the, uh, you know, this, show you're doing today so thanks i yield 
Well, thanks, guys. Terry, isn't your daughter still in Idaho? Yeah, she's up in Sandpoint. And I don't know what town Doug, uh, the one surviving son, Red lost his son, Bruce, but uh, uh, Doug, his, his surviving son, lives in Idaho as well. Hmm. Yeah, I thought that was true. Well, hey, uh, Terry. But most, most, of, most of the family did not really support a lot of Red's work. Well, Daryl Wayne's in the house. Go ahead, Daryl. Hey, what a fun show. Uh, you were talking about Denver, and I guess you're in Denver, Terry? Is that where you're at? Just outside, yes. Yeah. Well, have you uh, have you ever done a uh, or seen a picture of an aerial view of the Denver airport? Oh yeah. I had a you, brother. Uh, my wife. You recall my how my wife's brother-in-law. My wife's brother-in-law was actually the architect for the canopy and the train underground yeah. train circuit. Yeah. For that, and well, that we actually fun. were. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, I said that train's a lot of fun. They get all the little spinners along the side where the where the air's moving through when you're riding on the tunnel when you're going through the tunnel. And uh, yeah. did he did he have anything to do with the uh, the uh, the devil horse outside with the uh, the blue horse with the glowing eyes? Did, did he? <laughs> no, but I wish somebody had taken a chainsaw uh -huh. or or a rocket propelled grenade to that. Thing. Well. Uh, <laughs> It's certainly it's, evil, isn't it? Yeah. Um, also, also, I'll mention um, that the Western Hotel there, that's on the south end of the terminal, where the yeah. where the um, where the light right light rail comes into now. When I first saw that, I recognized what it was, and it is the brow of Molech, the owl guy. Yeah, that makes sense. So think that about makes a lot of think sense. about that one. Well, for for the for the listeners who have never given it any thought, nobody's ever brought it up to them. If you will uh, use your search engine and look for pictures of an aerial view of the Denver airport, interestingly enough, uh, for whatever it's worth, I'm just laying it out there because you're you're having this conversation. It's uh, shaped exactly like a swastika. You will also see that. Mer mentioned Mizell a while ago. Mizell was big, largely involved in the creation of DIA. Um, MDC yeah. had bought up had bought up Wood Brothers, which had bought up um, Richmond, and they actually acquired the contract. Actually, it was Wood Brothers that bought up that whole Box Elder Ranch, which was what DIA is a part of. And MDC, or Mizell Development Corporation, ended up acquiring that whole thing and working the deal with with uh, Federico Pena and uh, the past mayor of Denver as well. Um, but I had a buddy of mine that actually walked out of their pre-con meeting and was told he would never do another job in Colorado if he walked out of there. Uh, he packed up his family and moved to Texas. 
because he wasn't going to participate in the theft and corruption that that they were going to pull on the on the, the people of Denver. Yeah, well, there's the Denver Airport has a a pretty uh, pretty uh, deep history, uh, particularly the new one, and uh, I, I'm sure you've you've seen the uh, the paintings and the artwork inside the Denver International Airport. Oh yeah, some of it they've changed. Yeah, it's it's very. Yeah, uh, back when I was flying, uh, I used to go in there quite a bit. And it was all still there, all of the all the original uh, uh, esoteric, dark, uh, dark occulted artwork was all in there. And it was, you know, when you're standing right in front of it and looking at it, and you you sort of have an idea what you're looking at, and everybody walks by normally like there's nothing to it. It's 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 rather creepy, you know. It's just just saying so. Uh, uh, I'll jump off here, but I, I, I just, I really want to, uh, I want to uh, thank you for something you said earlier, Terry. And, uh, I think it really, I, I mean, it really struck home with me, uh, when you said the, uh, Hegelian dialectic gives both sides what they want to believe. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if I've ever heard it said as simply and clearly as that i was just i just want to thank you for saying that that way that was really good daryl isn't there a weird underground deal at the dia airport also that's what they say i i was never invited i was never invited i I don't know but you know they 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 say those things i've seen that weird artwork uh you're right it's very strange bizarre artwork yeah weird weird dr win parker that was at RBN said that there were urinals nine feet tall underneath DIA, underneath Denver Airport. <laughs> okay, mm. that's that's expressing the size of the ones that would be using them. Hmm, Murr, yeah. you're scaring me. <laughs> you're scaring me, Murr. They invite the Bigfoots to their little uh, gatherings, apparently. <laughs> well, there have been skeletons down 45 feet long and 60 feet that are, you know, the same type of skeletal structure we have. And it is legend that Adam and Eve were tall. It doesn't say so in the Bible, but it is legend that they were 25, 30 feet or whatever, however, very tall. And well, they, lived, they lived almost a thousand years. <laughs> have you done any research about they they claim okay the dna of the bigfoot that they've got dna off of is got female human dna but they don't know what the male side is that's what's interesting well it's Almost. also reported that bigfoot is an interdimensional creature yeah and smells well, really if bad it exists, at, if yeah. it exists at all it probably is yeah, yeah there's so some folks you're... down in there's so what you're saying is the Bigfoot's related to John Kerry? No, but it, mat- it matches the story of the Bible, you know, that the, they Giants. came down and had sex with the female humans. I mean, that would kind of make sense. It's got the female human DNA, but not the male. Remember Lurch, you Kerry's know, my, real name my is Tom. Makes, my son makes an interesting point. 
What was that? My son makes an interest. My my son makes an interesting point, and I I, I think it's worth mentioning. First of all, yeah. we know that the Nephilim exist, and we know that the Nephilim are here today, as in the days of Noah. But what we don't think about is that these fallen angels have been wasting. So they would not appear the same today as they would have, you know, back at the time of the Tower of Babel, for example. Well, there have been creatures like They're this. They're not all the same. They, right. They don't all, they don't all look the same. And they changed over time because they are wasting. You mean, you mean ugly bastards like George Soros, people like that? And his name is Schwartz. <laughs> George Schwartz. It. Yeah, he likes the name Soros because it's a lucky palindrome, same backwards as forwards. It has been very lucky for him. But his duties were taken over, apparently, by Obama in May of 2020. Lord Mark Mallard Brown, I believe, is the guy's name that actually took over. Well, maybe it's more than one that took over. Where did this conversation get going to? I don't know. I the same You're thing. taking us down this path, Murph. <laughs> I know. <laughs> did it on purpose. <laughs> well, uh, Lord Mark Milek Brown is British intelligence. Yep. Okay. So every time, every time you start digging in, and you start tracking back, intelligence, media. Uh, communications you always if, if you continue every time if you do it honestly and objectively you will find yourself looking at british intelligence and the city of london every time every time you can trace it all back you can trace uh woodrow wilson teddy roosevelt uh, all these people back to britain absolutely every time British Israel, and that's that's Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt well, when you, set set the example yeah. for Tom Tancredo. I call him. I call Tancredo. Um, what's it? What's it called? The uh, Bull Moose Party. Bull, Bull Moose Tancredo is what I call him. You know and what you know, happened with um, what allowed Wilson to get into office? Yeah. Yep. That was Undermeyer, Samuel Undermeyer. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt ran third party to, to allow w Wilson to get into office. Yeah, but they're, they're all that. controlled, all of them. Yeah. Anybody else got any questions for uh, Terry or I Mike? Think I, I think I interrupted Daryl. No, I'm good. I'm Mike. Yeah. Somebody. Yeah, is so. is, <laughs> is uh, Bill Gates still a wanted man in India? I heard he was. I heard the the Supreme Court of India just basically got a warrant out for him. Yeah, Soros and Sh Soros Schwartz isn't allowed back in Hungary, his home country either. Yeah. Well, you, you, I, you can be a you can be a multimillionaire if you can kidnap Soros and take him to Russia. I forget how many million they've got on his head. <laughs> I found that article too, there, uh, Terry. 
Yeah, Pro Liberty you do about that search. Scorzini. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I put it in the chat room. I'll send it to Mike. That's a courageous lady that has that site. I um I when I interviewed her that some some years ago, that was it was shortly after it was about a year or two after her husband had been taken out, Don. Yep, that's Ingrid. Um, she she's amazing. Yeah. So, Jim, what do you want to talk about for these last 14 minutes or so? Man, <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't believe we've run out of Red yeah. Beckman material. No, we never run out of Red Beckman yeah. material. Well, let's see if you can think of any any great Red Beckman sayings or uh, things, you know, tricks he pulled on people or whatever. Or the boots he wore. The who? The boots. <laughs> <laughs> they were Red Wings, right? <laughs> the Red Wing boots, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, really? Man, got to be something. Uh, hey, uh, DW, did you ever read any of Red's books? No, I didn't. And uh, that's, a, that's a shame because uh, I'm going to have to get a hold of... Uh, I'm going to have to get a hold of a bunch of those copies and uh, anybody, if you, if you, uh, if you get a digital copy, please send one my way. If you could, uh, you know, I will. Yep. Let me, let me just read a little bit of red's first letter to the IRS in his book. Do oh, that'd be the great. IRS as they wish. Do it. Do oh it yeah. You. Definitely. It says, Don't. dear Mr. Mrs. Miss IRS agent, I am in receipt of your letter. You are demanding I submit to, to illegal search and seizure of my books and records in your office. You are perhaps the most fortunate of all IRS agents to have been assigned to my audit. You have a serious personal problem which needs to be diagnosed and treated. You are in very good hands because this taxpayer is well-informed and trained to help people with your kind of problem. Be assured you will receive any help with without charge as a humanitarian service. The people of these United States of America are big-hearted and love to help others who are less fortunate than themselves. I am just another American with deep compassion for those who have problems. One who cares for others will not measure rewards in dollar and cents but rather in deep inner warmth and satisfaction. Your diagnosis, treatment, and therapy will not be calculated in dollars and cents. I want to make sure you understand where my concern is coming from, and you will not be billed for my services. You should be lying on a couch because there may be some shock when you read the next part of this letter. Hold yourself together because your malady is curable. It is probably as serious as cancer, but will respond to treatment very readily if you will cooperate. I hope you have not become too frightened by what you have just read, but diagnosis is the first step in the process of recovery from any health problem. Learning about a problem such as yours will probably be the most difficult moment of your life, 
I will be as compassionate and helpful as possible as your difficulty is explained to you. And it goes on, and it's just, you've got to appreciate the humor of this man and the courage of this man because these are real letters he sent to the IRS. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's fun. <laughs> hey, uh, well, hey. I, I have a question for you. I have, I got a question for you. Um, did, did Red, did you ever hear Red give an opinion, his point of view on uh, Gordon Call? and his family? Um, we actually did some shows that included uh, Gordon Call. Um, so some of the information didn't really come from Red, but Red was on the show and, and, um, and a part of the discussion. So what do you want to know? Well, I just, I just, uh, you know, uh, Red, uh, you know, what I'm learning here is that Red had a lot of interaction with the uh, individuals representing Satan. And of course, uh, his interaction with them was different than Gordon Call. And if uh, if Red had an opinion, if you ever heard Red voice an opinion about uh, the Gordon Call case, and if other people aren't familiar with it, uh, Gordon Call was uh, shot down and, and killed uh, by a posse. And... Uh, in uh when was that back in the was that in the early 90s or late 80s what was it i believe that was late 80s yeah 83 yeah uh, so i just i just wonder because you know red red had was, was in the in the same area of uh you know talking about taxes a lot and of course so <clears throat> i'm sure red completely understood the the dangers associated with that right and and uh, if he'd ever made any reference to Gordon Cole, so. Um, yeah, I, it's been long enough ago since I had that conversation that I don't remember exactly what Red said, but I do remember uh, at least one of the shows we did. We did we did a, a lot of um, um, political prisoner shows, uh, you know, like um, Edgar Steele and that. Um, that uh, congressman, I believe he was from Wisconsin. Murder. You remember the guy's name that they they uh, they put up false charges on him and put him in prison, and then they they did what they they called dieseled him. They strapped him down in a van and drove him all over the country to the point where he ended up losing a leg. And when he was finally cleared um, by the Congress uh, and exonerated. Uh, he died from the from the torture that they put him through in prison. Um, I wish I could remember his name right offhand. I got a middle block on it. But we did we did quite a few Gordon Call like uh, interviews. I'm thinking of people Edgar Steele wasn't Edgar Steele, was it? No. No, Edgar Edgar was out of uh, out of Idaho, and uh, they they killed him with psychotropic drugs and in, uh, in prison. But they trumped up charges on him for. Uh, supposedly planting explosives under his wife's car, and they they literally made up uh, recordings because he was a radio personality and, and had gone after. He had one show that he called "Name That Jew," which I'm sure that really uh, endeared <laughs> him to the ADL and and uh, SPLC. Uh, but anyway, they trumped up charges on him and literally yep. fabricated uh, recordings that they uh, that they played 
to get him convicted. Um, yeah, attempting to kill his wife, and she said there's nothing to it. Exactly. His wife didn't buy it for a minute. They knew who planted the charges. It was the same, the same uh, plant uh, confidential informant that, that had come in and helped him build a secret room in his garage and then came back and stole all of his silver out of it. Same guy. I think Gordon Cole's son is still in jail. There's Year of Jubilee with 1E. I'm looking up to see where he is and stuff. I'll post it in that chat. I don't know. I don't. I don't know anything current about his son. That hey, building Carrie, up there uh, in Salt Lake, didn't they have a big fire up there like four or five years ago? Mike Getty. I'm not sure, buddy. Uh, okay, I thought I'd read that the, somewhere. I could be mistaken. The one thing I can tell you, Terry, is that I have an actual videotape of the feds and the Idaho State Police interviewing Edgar Steele in which they both told him his wife was dead. Wow. He had that interview taped surreptitiously. It's not great quality, but the interview was taped and both the fed and the Idaho State Policeman told him that his wife was dead. She had been killed in the automobile accident, which he had caused. Hey, can I interject something? Go ahead, Gary. Sure. Uh, Daryl was mentioning about foreign agents being in our government or something like that. But, you know, I don't hear anybody talking anymore about the senior executive service, which 6,000 people are staffing every second federal agency we got and probably plus down into the governorships yep. of all 50 well, states. Senior all service is very much like the CFR. Yeah, yeah. Fauci is one. They, all, you, they can't fire go, uh, go look up the interviews with uh, Michael McKibben and he's done extensive research on the senior executive service Lord Mark Malik Brown, all of that stuff. He he got more into that than anybody. He he was the one. Michael McKibben was the is the president of um, leadership. Uh, I think at leader leader technologies, and he developed uh, the the social media software and patented it um, for that that was eventually became um, Facebook. Um, that that patented software was stolen by Serco, out of which again, we're leading back to the British, right? Uh, who actually helped run our patent office. Why do we have a British group running our patent office? Anyway, they stole the, stole the software uh, patents and turned around, took it to the Pentagon. The Pentagon developed a program called LifeLog, which was his patented software. But uh, he got heavy into the uh, senior executive service in his research for his lawsuits for patent infringement. So you'll find uh, Michael McKibben. Um, I think and the Gabriel. group is called AIM. Merce, AIM, yeah. are you familiar with our AIM? Merce, are you familiar with AIM? Yeah, AIM for Truth. Yeah, you'll find some of McKibben's interviews there. Carol knows this one too. And, but, but he gets yeah. extensively into the senior executive service. Yep. And right. Phil well, Tottenham um, covered that so, all the time. 
so so what uh you know we got a couple minutes here so i'm going to make this quick i uh here's here's what i'm going to call the eight ball in the corner here what what uh the history will write uh probably long after we'll dead is we'll find out that uh vis-a-vis -vis probably about 1948 in that time period that uh the United States uh, government uh, sub completely became subsumed by the Commonwealth, became a part of the Commonwealth. And the code language for that is called the special relationship. And if you look for that key word in special relationship between the British and the United States, uh, this is what this infers, is that by de facto, uh, not up front, but through governance and, and economy and banking and intelligence, that they are part of the Commonwealth. And uh, this, this leads into all the British contracts, all the British control, uh, all uh, of media, of the communications, of the, uh, the senior executive service, it's it's been taken back, uh, yeah. so that that's kind of a big mouth statement, but that's where it's going. So anyway, <laughs> didn't didn't Cornwallis say say that? Reportedly yeah. said that. Plus, if if you look into history, you'll see that the British or city of London actually has had all kinds of secret agreements with France, Italy, Spain, you name it. They've, they've done all kinds of supposed secret agreements. And then you got to remember, our Constitution allows them to have secret agreements. Yep. Our Constitution allows anything. We're living it. Yep. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, it does. But I was just specifically <laughs> addressing the secret part. Terry, I've got a question for you. Do you uh, have a website or other shows that you do that uh, you can put out so other folks can uh, track you other places? I don't like the word track, but... <laughs> I have not done any shows since um, since uh, Mike and I uh, stopped doing the Handling the Truth uh, show on Revolution Radio. I think it was, Or was that on Blog Talk, Mike? That was on Blog Talk. That it was on Blog Talk, but I do have archives. Uh, got archives with a lot of Red Beckman shows, actually. Um, Priceless. If you go to Blog Talk and look up uh, Dr. Kate Revolution Radio, uh, you'll probably run into those archives, so you could get to those Great. on Blog Talk Radio. Awesome. And uh, hopefully, I'm, if all I'm goes thinking, well. thinking about starting something back up. We still have that channel on blog talk, but I wasn't crazy about that, uh, that venue. Mm. All righty. And uh, hopefully uh, next Friday, if all goes well, we'll have a episode of whistling Dixie during this time frame on Friday. So, uh, we'll yes, see how thank that you works. For that, Jim. What's that? I said, thank you for that, Jim. <laughs> the pressure's now on. <laughs> <laughs> and there's the dinner bell. And we are out of time for today. So, uh, Mike, Terry, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a great show. And everybody else, I appreciate you being here. Take care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to live. And we'll be back live on Monday, same bat time, same bat channel. 
Until then, have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you all later. Take care, and God bless. Take care, guys. Thanks, guys.